As long as I want you and you want me, it'll be alright. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you for hey. being here. Thanks for having me. Your song, What That, what that Means. Yeah. Yeah, I love that song. Thank uh, you. I actually, uh, I wrote that in 2020 and had forgotten about it um, <laughs> until recently or until at the beginning of this last year. And so I was like, I go through phases where I go through like the I call it like the graveyard of songs in my phone, like voice notes and whatnot. So uh, I went back through and I was like, oh my gosh, I, can't, I forgot about this song. So decided to put it out, just felt like the right time. I guess in, I mean, the chorus of like talking about like when the world's on fire, that's just like what everything felt like <laughs> in 2020. So it was just kind of a therapeutic way to write through some of that stuff. Yeah, I think I read a bio you were in, you're from Southern California originally? Yeah. And you were back there taking care of your grandmother when you wrote that song? Yeah, my, um, born and raised down there and my grandma, well, and like Bellflower and Cerritos is where I'm, uh, was at, but my grandma is in, uh, like Chula Vista National City area. So that's like San Diego basically. Yeah, when COVID hit, when nobody before anybody really knew what that was going to be like or the extent of <laughs> how much the lockdown was going to go. I think I was doing a little job um, here in Kansas City at the time, and it was like everybody was starting to freak out because we were like, oh, we're only 11 days behind Italy, and they just shut down everything. And like California was kind of, you know, along with New York, everybody was kind of, you know, locking things down pretty hard, pretty fast. So we thought that the board, they were not going to let like anybody cross into the state at all at one point. So mm -hmm. my grandma, yeah, my grandma was, she had like four different caretakers coming in and out to take care of her. So it was like, well, that's not possible because it's just too much exposure. And then um, I was just lucky enough to have the type of job that I could, you know, take the time and go be with her. And so, um, 
yeah, it was tough. It was a lot. It was a lot, but it was like the sweetest time as well. But it was very lonely. It was hard. It was like six months straight of literally just she and I, because we were trying to minimize as much uh, exposure as possible. So it was, you know, right at the very beginning of everything, you know, and nobody knew what was going on. And it was, it was intense, but I definitely wrote a lot of music, which is good. Oh, that's, that's good to have the yeah. time to do that. That's always nice. Um, so were you guys always close or did you get closer during that time? Did she have any stories to tell you or was she kind of incapacitated? Um, no, she did. She um, has Alzheimer's. And so it was definitely a different type of road. But yeah, we've been super close my whole life. She's like my favorite person in the world. So it was it was an easy decision. It was a like easy yes for me to go down there. Um, but it just ended up being really challenging. But it was like the sweetest time because we just had you know so much time just she and I together and it was like yeah it was sweet even in the midst of all of it but I would sit and listen like turn on my voice memos like we would have to sit and have dinner together and then I would just like ask her questions and listen to her tell the stories and ask her about my grandpa because I never met my grandpa Bruce and she always would go back and you know tell story she would get you know more lucid talking about things from you know the way way back so um it was cool and i played a few live stream shows um but then that ended up being a little bit too intense because it was just a lot and then one time i played and her hearing aids were up turned up too loud and then she didn't want to interrupt me and she didn't tell me until afterwards and i was like oh no i can never do this again <laughs> so i was like no more live streaming until i get back i'm just taking it full so but yeah she's such a sweetheart and has always been somebody in my life that um yeah she's like the person to me that has just never never questioned me um and not in a way of like discipline or something like that but i mean just like the coreness of like who i am you know like growing up very evangelical and like my whole family is still you know very much in uh, that mindset uh which is you know beautiful for them to each their own for sure but i just don't necessarily haven't subscribed to that belief set in a very long time i like had a lot of church trauma um with your you know more typical western evangelical church settings and so and they all know that you know um but and so coming out for me was like a really big process with that and um it was you know hard for my family and you know stuff and my mom and i actually kind of like severed ties for a while um when that kind of fully happened it's a very very long story <laughs> uh, but when that finally came to fruition of where i you know said i'm not um yeah because i did like conversion therapy and was in like a lot of like really intense programming stuff to like you know try to change that from my life and um so when it finally was a thing of like hey i'm not trying to like fix this anymore like this isn't the thing that i'm like revolving my entire relationship with around god over curing me of now you know what i mean it's like now i'm just this i'm just amanda and like this has to do with a part of who i am it's not who i am but it is also who i am and so it's like and that's okay like the finally letting that happen and then so that 
well, there was a rift between my mom and I for a couple of years. It was pretty intense. And so with my whole family, it kind of ended up being a little bit like that. But my grandma, you know, I always talked to her and we never really talked about it. It was like she knew that my, you know, that my mom took that place and um, she had her, I guess she had told my mom that, you know, later on I found out, you know, that she told me, she was like, I would tell your mom, I don't agree with her not talking to you, you know, but I didn't hear that at the time. You know, my grandma was kind of just letting us have our own business, I think. But yeah, and my grandma and I never even really had that conversation. There was just one time we were on the phone together and I was with an ex-partner at the time. She just, I, we, I don't even remember exactly what we were talking about, but we were talking about Lisa, my partner at the time. And then, um, you know, I think she could just tell by the way that I was talking about her and like our life together. I think that she could just tell that I was happy. And so she just kind of stopped me. And, you know, she said, you know, honey, can I ask you a question? And then it was like, you know, when you like feel the air kind of like suck out of the room or like, you're like, oh shit, this feels important. <laughs> you know, like for all of a sudden, it, I don't know why I felt that. But I was just like, yeah, grandma, you know. And she just kind of paused and all she said was, are you happy? And I just like knew, I just knew that that was, I, I said, yeah, grandma, I am. Yeah, I really am. And she was like, that's all I've ever wanted for you. That's all I ever want. And then we just like carried on, you know, and then it was like the like energy swell of it was so intense. And then it was like the energy passed and then we were just like okay went on about you know everything else it was like never never a thing i haven't been the most responsible person my whole life i'll definitely say that but and i won't blame it on the the musician archetype even though that's easy to do but um you know she's just she was one person that never made me feel like i was always failing you know she always mm -hmm. made me feel like I was doing well even when I put out my first EP um I'm always constantly like man when am I gonna make it or like what you know the end goal destination of like what it's like to succeed as an artist and she would always always is like you you always wanted to do this and you did this you know she would always speak to me as though I had already made it you know like and that's how proud of me she was so it's tough right now she's you know pretty much not she's not lucid really ever you know and is very much in the like final declining stages um she actually just took a fall a couple days ago so she's been having a hard time she's the best oh that's that's amazing that's i think a really important part of revealing who you are yeah she do you have is she the only did you say she's the only one in your family that kind of or primarily that lets you be who you are um not like i would say she was the one that where i just always felt like the most comfortable and without question you know and like i mean your parents are your parents and i had a great relationship with my mom growing up you know single mom um with my brother and i and uh, eventually you know kind of reconnected with my dad Growing up in general, you get, you know, told what you're doing correctly or incorrectly. Like that's kind of part of the whole point of growing up. And like people need to tell you to a certain degree, like do this, don't do this. You know, your life depends on it. It's interesting growing up in a, you know, in religious settings, how much you're like, I'm good or I'm bad, like doesn't just revolve around like 
your parents being upset that you did something or whatever it's like the like there's also that extra level to the goodness or badness like i'm like a hell or no hell <laughs> type of level too you know which is yeah it's so wild thinking about it now as an adult it's like literally it's just kids walking around with like ptsd thinking about going to hell or not by doing something as like a four-year-old that is like against the rules yeah so just having those aspects and you know i got in trouble a lot or just different things i was just always adventurous and like wanted to do stuff and you know break the rules and push the edges or at least find them you know yeah i remember not being really scared of anything until i got older which is so interesting but she just always was that person for me and it's interesting because i know in every family it's like even with my mom or not like that's her mom so she will never see her the way that i've seen her you know what i mean because she's seen her as her mom right and so it's like she's like oh you know there's that aspect of oh well the grandkids always get the you know the best of everything yeah yeah and you don't ever see them really you know get up give out all their shadows and whatever you know because you're and i was the baby of the family so there were five you know five of us cousins and um i was the youngest of all of us and then the youngest my brother was older than me so it was like we didn't have a huge family by any means but i was the baby i think it's good to a certain extent for everybody to have at least one person in their life that they know like just sees no wrong in them you know like even when you are wrong even when you are (laughs) like that type of like she was the most of any and i'll say this too like she was definitely a believer and was is somebody in my life who has actually like shown me christ like consistently oh okay yeah like that is a big deal especially you know when there's been a lot of times where i'm get so reprimanded or like treated poorly in the name of (laughs) like you know me not living this you know christian lifestyle so it's just ironic but times that like the person who just gave me the most freedom and then like showed me the most love like that has like pointed me most directly towards that source of love you know so it's yeah that's a lot absolutely yeah i grew up um jehovah's witness so similar they don't believe in heaven and hell but but i understand that feeling of i'm supposed to have this relationship with god and i felt that i did and i felt that he was some white guy in the sky judging me and disappointed in me all the time it it gave a sense of total unworthiness and i think that because my mother didn't grow up like that her mom was also one of my favorite people my grandma also one that would just let me be free and not judgment so i would go and spend summers with her and not have to go to church and not have to read the bible and uh, all she wanted me to do was like make my bed and be you know kind respectful i don't think my parents understood that they didn't grow up with religion mm-hmm. but they raised us with religion there i have five siblings and i'm also the youngest yeah. and they uh they just didn't get 
the level of brainwashing that happens to a child because children are basically in a state of hypnosis up to age seven. So they take everything literally. So when God is mad at you, you think that you're a bad person. Yeah. And like you're not worthy of life. I'm, I'm not raising my kids religious probably for that very reason. <laughs> you know, have them still have a, a relationship with God where they feel like there's someone to rely on other than me because I'm imperfect, you know. As parents, we screw up all the time. I just screw up my kids. I just got to have them first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, believe me, they'll push all the buttons. It's so, it's so crazy. You think, oh, I raised a lot of my nieces and nephews, at least partially, like nannied for them for a little bit of time. And it was so easy. I was like, yeah, no, they listen to me. I got this. I thought when I had kids. It would be like that. No, it's, I can't even explain it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's something that, you know, I think adults need to consider when they're raising their child in a religion, that the, the judgment thing is not helpful for a child to grow up and feel completely ashamed of who they are because they're a human and they're not perfect. Yeah. It's such a tough line to walk. Like, to me, the way I look at it is like everything swings in generations, right? Like you have, like you said, like your parents didn't grow up religious. And then you have weeping youth group movement or whatever. Like I call my, all my friends and, you know, like us, like all like the youth group generation. Everyone was going to youth group. It was like this season of everything was charged to like get the teenagers. Like even in like the ministries that I was a part of, I was like a national spokesperson as an 18 year old for this humongous ministry where we were going around, like praying me for like PR and all this stuff. I like, I was on CNN and Fox and all this stuff doing interviews to like promote this ministry that was like 25,000 people at an event, kids that you're like, the whole thing is like, it's geared with like concerts and speakers and stuff and like, which is cool. It's like a summit that you go to. Um, but it's just, there was so, it felt like such a time of where things were, all the vibe was like, get the kids, like get the teenagers. We're, you know, on the front lines of this battle and like, you know, there's such a, war mentality in it um you know and i believe in i believe in spiritual battle 100 i really do like so i get that aspect of like and light versus dark and like there is warring in a realm that none of us truly understand i really believe that so i get it from that aspect but there's also there was just this thing of like we got to build soldiers we got to build soldiers to like go out and evangelize and force this specific thought process on everybody in the world and all of these things nothing else mattered don't go to college don't go right. on trips go to this these pay us to come tell you how to like fix yourself to be holy in the eyes of god when truly you're just taking a lot of broken teenagers that want to be a part of something that nothing is truly inherently wrong with them. And you're playing on all their insecurities and traumas and brokenness and warping that into their sense of connection to 
God in all things. I don't think there's a higher offense, truly. I agree. I mean, I would see that. I, I see that as blasphemy, right? Because like you're teaching these kids love and belonging and acceptance. But like you said, your grandmother showed you what Christ is like right. by having unconditional love and acceptance. And when you're training teenagers or anybody to be a soldier for this message of love, soldiers don't bring messages of love. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. It's, it's confusing. <laughs> yeah. The whole aspect even of like, it's just love things all love you know like it sounds so hippie wooey and even the like the worst nightmare of me before you know would be like me talking about that of like that's the only thing that matters you know but truly it is yeah you know love is the ultimate everything (laughs) it seems like it's it gets distorted by businesses because religions Although they're nonprofit organizations, they are still a business. Just because you're a nonprofit doesn't mean you don't make profit. It just means you don't get taxed on it. So it has it has that business mentality where we get all of our members to become our marketing team. The more members we get, just like any pyramid scheme, the more money that comes in. So yeah. when you have hierarchies and things like that, the love gets lost and diluted and the profit comes first and to keep an organization you know decentralized to the degree that the message of love isn't lost is i don't think most people have figured it out (laughs) yeah truly that yeah Uh, i don't think i don't know i don't know what that looks like either yet (laughs) yeah i don't think we've seen it yet much i don't know um like right now in fit for service it feels like that you know yeah yeah for sure i see people getting a little scared and feeling like no and putting people on pedestals i think that's where we go wrong when we start putting people on pedestals and seeing only the upside and not the downside because every human has both you infatuate with the coaches or the leaders and then you make them gods instead of realizing they're human and it's awesome if they make a mistake because that shows us that we're all human yeah i think that's a they it's so um it almost feels like oh should i talk about this or not but i've talked about it like so much um like with my roommates in montana and stuff too be even being in bit preservers was like a hard i there were a lot of triggers about it for me just because of my past legitimate like very intense settings i was like i don't know can i do this again you know can i like be in an environment you know but it's not there's so many things about it that are not that environment so it's like it's it's way easier for me to be involved in it but the thing that that you just said is like realizing and remembering that literally everyone is just someone everybody is just somebody that is doing everything that they feel like is right for them to figure out all the things they need to figure out, you know? And it's like, there's so, there's such a beauty in, you know, even with Aubrey, like creating this container and then living his life in such a way to where it's like, 
I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to expand. I want to learn how to love. I want to learn how to love myself. I want to learn how to love everyone. I want to do all these things and spending it time in the places that he spent time, you know, like physically and, you know, energetic spaces, like to where he is touching things that we all, you know, that I believe are real. And so it's like having someone do that and kind of almost not, not say do it first, but do it before a lot of us heard, you know, or at least in the group, you know, there's a lot of things that the coaches have just already done that they're now talking about the potential for us to also be able to do rather than this person. I don't want to say like specific names because I don't want to think, say that it's like in any derogatory way, because I'm trying to explain how I don't feel like that from them. Um, But any of the coaches are not like, it's not this thing of, uh, or I'll say Kyle, because I, that's who Kyle, (laughs) but like, not like Kyle has got this otherworldly, like specialized human being that is unlike all of us. I mean, (laughs) he kind of is, he's a physical, natural marvel, but like there are so many aspects about Kyle being other than like, but still, I just mean in, in like spiritual capacity or anything like that, like we all have capacity for, for things, you know, that is, we're looking at people who have just done it first and they've committed their lives to continuing to want to make their whole lives revolve around knowing more. You're looking at people who have done it first and said, you can also do this. Like you can do anything, you know, like I, mm-hmm. you know, I can decide to, you know, move to Romania tomorrow and try and learn how to become a farmer from somebody. And Like I literally could do that. And what a beautiful life maybe that would be. We can do anything. And especially when it comes to like spiritual capacity, diving into source, it's just what, you know, truly whatever floats your boat. And it's somebody showing you this boat bears a lot of fruit in my life and it casts a lot of light around me. And I get this response. It's like a very Jesus way of living, even, you know what I mean? Let me be the lighthouse. You know what I mean? Like, that if you want to if you want people to live a certain way like show them how like and you really believe it then do you live that way like show them by how you live like show them by your fruits all of us have leaders and mentors and people that we look up to i hope so that's how you learn bro or i hope that we all do and so the thing that where anybody ever gets wrong is like putting people in a place where they are no longer people and forget that we are all that and we're looking at people who are telling where they've already been right and and the key words that you're saying are can and show there's no should we're not being told we should do anything or they won't even recommend that anybody do plant medicine, for example, but they've all done it and they believe in it. But that I think that's the beautiful thing about it. And you said the Christ-like way um, is just to teach a man how to fish instead of giving him a fish. And teaching and, is a way to fish. You can, you know what I mean? Like you can right. pull or you can you you know you can use this string or you can you know reach in and grab that bitch with your hand (laughs) (laughs) and and i think we get too caught up sometimes too on like 
so-and-so said this is the way they did it so then i have to do it that way otherwise i'm not going to the source that is the thing that messed me up for the longest time i only have to show up as me there's that's the only way it's going to work and so and i have to listen to you know my own downloads and get my own codes for my own part like nobody on the planet is ever gonna walk the same life as me nor have they ever so the advice that i get from god from the universe from everything source like that advice yes can it work on a mankind level yes are we all technically not separate of course but for me specifically my codes that i'm getting are for for me, for my function, for, from everything that's happened in my life. Anytime me seeing a grasshopper means something to me that it doesn't have to mean anything to anybody else. Take it reminding like there's freedom also in this aspect of like, oh my gosh, I had this where, you know, wonderful plant medicine experience, or I've had this crazy, you know, experience when I was meditating or doing whatever, walking in the park, sitting on the couch, you get something that drops in on you and you're like, whoa that meant something to me that was super significant there's like i think there should be freedom and sacred thank you knowing that it's yours for you yes share that share that with people if you know to whatever degree that you want to but yeah there's even a, a small part of me of like i and some you know uh, tosh would probably murder me for actually not ever writing this down but i never wrote down my first my ayahuasca experience like i didn't and i have like different notes you know or like bullet points or what i have played it about and i know that your memory can play tricks on you and all these things and i know that but there was something in me that was like once i write this down it's not mine anymore and i'm not saying that for all things there's lots of other ceremonies that i'm like no i have to write this down 100%. I'm like, I need to remember these specific things. And journaling is fantastic. But there was something about that that was like, I needed it to stay in me. Well, you're a writer. I mean, you're a singer song writer. So yeah. you are not, it's not like that came from a place of laziness or avoidance or what. But yes, when you're someone who writes to express, you're like, okay, this is only mine. Yeah. Which is, you know, I didn't. That's so that's so brilliant for you to put it together like that. I literally didn't even think of it that way before. Of like, I'm so used to as a songwriter or writer in general, that's what I do. I take the whatever I'm working through, and that's how I get it out of me is to write, you know, yeah. to out and sing it out. And so it was like this thing. I just didn't like. I was like, no, this one's mine. Yeah. So I talk about it all you know and i tell people about it so much um but there was just something about writing it for me which is so so interesting but even you saying that makes so much sense yeah that is interesting speaking of uh songwriting and music did you ever go through a period where you didn't know who you were as an artist as a singer i mean for me growing up I practiced to like Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey and and then Crystal Gale and it was just all over the place. And I I lost my own voice because I was so practiced copying theirs. Did you ever experience anything like that? 
Absolutely. It's so, it, that is so profound to me of what you just said of like, you lost your voice because you were just copying theirs. I was going to be a huge worship leader. Like that was like my plan. That was my path. That was like, I grew up singing in church, you know, went to a Christian school. I was like, I was a worship leader at my school, um, which I would go back and forth from like backsliding, if you will, to not. And so I was sure it was using for people to watch me lead worship and then like, you know, smoke pot but uh, <laughs> uh yeah going through that and then i left and went to ministry right out of high school got kicked out of that one but like was a worship leader there and then went to my second one specifically for music you know and to do conversion therapy but and was singing on worship teams there and it was like one of the biggest places of it was like a pinnacle of if you were a musician in like the church or for like anything of a charismatic movement whatsoever. Like the place that I was at, it was like when I was singing there, we were, I'm sure it's, the numbers are way higher, but we were broadcast to like 150 or like 200 countries all the time, like, you know? So it was not just singing for a room. It's like, you're literally singing all the time. You've already been on the world stage. Yeah. And so it's like, and <laughs> that was where I wanted to do it. Cause that was like the most intense place. And they understood like the most intense way to worship. And they understood how to make the most intense songs and create the most intense emotional environment to like connect. And so I was just like, that's it. That's where I'm going. And like, I was there. And so like my whole, you know, like path was set in my mind you know, and like, there was nothing else I wanted to do. And I knew that I was good enough that nobody was going to not have me do that. Wow. Yeah. It was wild. That was my whole, not only like my spiritual health, well-being, nature and everything was not only wrapped up in being literally like all the time, constantly in the church, like my career, like my career was that too. So it was like all the music I wrote was, was that all the, you know, I didn't, I couldn't even, you know, writing a secular song, like thinking about songs going on like secular radio, get out of here. So that would be like the thing that was like me backsliding or like selling out or so. Yeah. So when I ended up leaving, literally just like looked like, uh, you know, for like a couple <laughs> like what uh, my whole world was just gone and then it took there was so much of my own that I had to deconstruct about like writing a love song that's not like romantically about the man Jesus <laughs> like, you know like because so many of them were which is like looking back on that too is like it's like there's you can you can dissect a lot there but like <laughs> like just writing a, a love song or like, but then for me, writing a love song meant writing about a woman. And mm -hmm. then so go on top, you add that on top of it. And then even anything else, it was just like, oh man, it took me so long to know what my voice was. Cause it was just like, I knew what it was in a sense of worship. I still love that. Like I love, I don't regret any of that. I know that what I was connecting to everything that we do with intention is worship, you know? So it's like, I know that my heart was, you know, seen by whatever was supposed to see it when I was in those spaces. And 
I, it just took me a really long time to say, even now I'm still, you know, honestly, I still struggle with that now. Like, uh, even to the point of, you know, where this, this past year I was talking about like just rebranding and like changing my name, make this character, you know, because <laughs> character can say whatever she wants, right. you know? like, which is great. And I love that about art. You know, I love that aspect of music and I get to do that in different parts of my job, but I'm still trying to find out my voice, you know? And like, even in the songs that I write now, I have my like, you know, country bluesier, like Americana stuff. Like what that means is like, it's a love song. It's a, you know, um, but, and then I have flowers in hell or like sure as gold or things that are like a lot of music that is on its way out. Um, that is very much like a bridge between like what a worship song kind of is. And then just what I think now they're very spiritual. They're very, since probably you're probably not going to hear this on the radio, you know, or like, it's very much, I think kind of for, I think it's for everybody, but I get the aspect that everybody's not going to fall in love with that type of music. So I keep going back and forth between trying to make hits, you know, like yeah. make friend, make gonna make the viral, you know, viral clip and and whatever, and like and just fun. Like I love country music. I love it. I I play so much cover music, like day to day job, and I'm obsessed with it. I love. It. So I love to make music that like that and I love to sing it. I love it. It makes me happy. But there's like this duality of like the other music that I write that is like digging out all of this stuff that we've been talking about and also trying to give hope and trying to just be, you know, talk about love and talk about the light that's in the world. And sometimes I'm like, well, which brand do I pick? Am I super? <laughs> you know, like, so. Like, I know that I can do both and all things, but it's just like, still trying, you know, I think we all are always trying to find our voice and how it, and how our voice changes, you know, we're like constantly going yeah. through puberty. That's true. That's so, true. So, but I am very much more confident in know what, like, the things that I have to say, you know, in like the no me that, but those things also can change. Like, I'm open to changing. Like, that's the whole concept of, Sure as gold is like the first thing that I wrote after I did ayahuasca. And it was just the, the getting out the concept of I used, I was so absolutely dead set my spiritual health and I was going to heaven and nobody was going to tell me that I was doing it wrong. And I was living holy and I was doing everything possible to, you know, not have same sex attraction. And I was sure as gold on like what I thought and what I believed and everything like you couldn't have do you couldn't change my mind and my whole fucking world fell apart and so I am like demanded of myself that I will never be locked into a worldview or a thought process so heavily that I can never question my own self like that I can never look at this and and see a flaw or not not brush it off of like well, it's, I don't, cause you're so, I, I've been so trained to, uh, like roomed, honestly, to just, to see things that I feel, I'm like, that's, that's kind of weird, right? Is it that weird? But since everyone else is like, no, it's not weird. And it's so-and-so doing it, you know, it's like the leader of the church doing it, or like they're saying it, even though it's like, 
ah, they probably meant this. So just whatever. That's all just like, just forces you not to trust yourself. And I've spent over a decade trying to learn how to trust myself again. So I, with that, I need to know that I have the capacity to latch onto, we all do. We have the capacity to latch onto things and get so wrapped up in, I mean, look at politics these days. You can get so gung ho on an idea that consumes you and 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 you could be wrong you know oh, yeah. of like damn it's tuesday and i could be wrong today like yeah. about it. so it's just yeah, all of those things help try to keep me in perspective yeah i have this thing that i say to myself all the time it's um if i have a really really strong opinion about something it means i only have about 50 percent of the information yeah. so. <laughs> defensive we tend to be like is usually we don't have all the information or we're trying to convince ourselves of that we are like we're panicking that we might actually be wrong that like being so defensive about a position or about a person or a organization anything in any way you know is like is so intense but finding out we're wrong is some of the most freeing <laughs> experiences I've ever had. It's funny because your explanation of how you saw your life going, that identity as the singer, but the church singer, I think if I had grown up in a religion where we had music as a major part of the church and I went that route, my family would have been like, yeah, you should sing because uh-huh. that would have been something that I could have done, but because that wasn't an avenue, they didn't want me going into commercial music where I would be a drug using whore, basically is what they would have seen. (laughs) (laughs) So that's really interesting. I I love to learn that I'm wrong. I mean, it's it's painful at, at the moment, but then it's like, oh my God, really? Because then you realize you're not dead and that there's still more to to learn and experience and like, oh, now I can start researching all of this thing. I find in, when I'm writing songs that I'm always like, I don't like my own sound. I'm like, oh, it's always got to be such a downer. Like, why is everything I write such a downer? Like I have people... Um, when I post poetry and stuff on Instagram, like friends that they think I'm depressed. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not depressed. I, I'm right. That was the past. I'm just writing about it now from a new perspective. But like, they're like, I'm here for you. I'm like, I'm okay. I'm really <laughs> eloquent words here. Yeah. Oh, you said that your parents would have encouraged you to sing probably if that was an avenue for you guys. Yeah. Instead, I. I took on the belief that because my dad said, oh, it's only one in a million that makes it. He he definitely was trying to not discourage wrong. me. But, oh, yeah. And he's not wrong. And but I I as a child took that to mean I'm not good enough. He's saying I'm not good enough. And oh, so yeah. I like buried that ambition and never went for it. Like I never stopped practicing and I took music classes and I took voice lessons. But I I tried to bury it over and over and over. And I definitely didn't pursue it as a career, but still little things like I would write songs and I would 
I went and um, got invited to try out for America's Got Talent and just felt like that was just the weirdest thing because, yeah, they were directing us. I'm like, the invites don't go for those shows. You got to get the invites. Don't stand in the cattle call. No one's <laughs> supposed to know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah, so they were, they were like directing us. I thought it was really weird. Um, but the things kept coming up. So now I'm back to music. It's like, it's not going anywhere. Stop trying to abandon it. Stop trying to change your voice and change your... I just wonder if that's um, the case for all artists, if they kind of go through these deaths and rebirths constantly and these... Absolutely. And it absolutely. If you, I mean, and you have to constantly die and be reborn to make art the beauty comes in the death, you know what I mean? Like, but then you have to figure out how to show people the beauty by making it come to life again. You know, it's there's beauty in it in like the breaking down and like seeing raw. Not that all art has to be dark and, you know, like what you're talking about, sad, but like what it is, there's like beauty in finding those places that some people don't have the capacity for you know and so or don't let themselves understand we have capacity for you it's it's brave it takes courage to do that it takes courage to make art because any art that matters has to be raw vulnerable it takes courage to do that but and it takes courage to say like i mean the comment you made about you know your dad saying only one in a million it's like oh i wish parents everywhere would stop saying things like that because like i remember i was trying out for something and it was like um you know i had the same type of thing i was in high school and i was trying out or wanted to try out for this thing and my you know my stepdad was like said the same thing like oh one in a million like one in a million people you know can't do that or whatever all i heard was i'm not one in a million like you're saying one right. in a million could you know they pick one or like two people out of thousands of how many people and i'm like yeah and I, that could be me right like, uh, that could be, you know what i mean like i could be the they pick man i'm cool yeah. you know i'm good at this there that could have been that could be me i was told in that moment that i'm not the one in a million then exactly you know and like that is ooh, that's heavy when you look at it from that way and so it's like so many art, like all artists here pretty much their whole lives unless they're dropped in some type of heavenly thing that just like supports them to the maximum, which is there are families like that, which is crazy to me, but I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, you know, but without that, that you hear that your whole life, even now, you know, I'm in, I'm 36, I'm in my late thirties and I'm still, you know, when it comes to like, my friend group or you know anybody like around it's like there's kind of this thing like I have a lot of successful friends and it's like i feel that lack of like you know financial wherewithal or you know even um yeah just so many things like that or like where they're at and then where i'm at it's like the disconnect still so feels so far and it's like i'm just the you know starving artist over here you know like still trying to make it work and like i think there is some element not a lot i don't feel it a lot but i feel it sometimes to where i feel like art how long are you going to do this 
are you still gonna keep like are you still doing this you can come you know just come work for me like come do this come over here and i like have opportunities all the time and it's hard not to be like okay yeah that's great i'm so grateful i could do that and then just make money doing that and then just play my guitar for fun or like just write music for fun but like i can't then when I find myself in positions like that, like I end up going to the hospital because I have a panic attack. You know, it's like, it's yeah. just, you know, so there's just, and that's my, that was my own thing to work out years ago, but it's like that aspect of, I don't know what else to do, you know? Well, that, you know, if you were to accept that, that would be a whole different kind of death. I mean, that's the problem yeah. with the way we define success is that, you know, you talk about your friends that are successful. My family looks at me like I'm successful because I became an accountant and I have these certain things. And I'm like, but I'm not. I'm absolutely empty inside and miserable. I mean, not anymore. But right. at the time when I was suppressing everything that I wanted and everything that I really was, I was dead inside because I wasn't connected to my music and my art. So financial it's awesome that we all put that on a pedestal but if a lot of people who are financially successful are still laden with debt and they're still making it paycheck to paycheck earners over two hundred fifty thousand a year at least 50 percent of them are living paycheck to paycheck so they're not really yeah. any better than that. they're just they've just bought into the the lie and the story that looks really pretty, but you know, when you're dead inside, what's the point? Yeah, for sure. Health insurance, I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> right health insurance now. is good. <laughs> I do have health insurance right now. Not the greatest, but in my current situation with my leg and like six fractures, I'm like, oh man, having to oh have at my discretion would be awesome right now. But uh, no, but I, you're so right. And I do hear, I have some beautiful friends that are very vocal with telling me how proud they are of me, you know, and like that are just like, you do what everybody wants to do. You know, right. every, we're just too scared to do it. You know, and like when I look at that, I'm just like, it reminds me of like, I am so grateful to be brave in that aspect and to be like brave enough that I just haven't quit. I just got no quit in me when it comes to it. So it's like, I, you know, just keep going and keep going on the grind. It's a good reminder of what, what is success, you know? Yeah, we're, we're at the hour, but I do have one more question. It's maybe two parts you were when you came out were you still deeply in the church and then you talked about conversion therapy two things that i don't know much about yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah um so i guess the first time i guess coming out was more of like a realization of like oh no i have this sin telling my mom or telling people was like they were telling me that it was like this unhealthy codependency that like turned physical because our friendship was so messed up and so from that it 
I internalize that as just another way of me being wrong. I don't even, I can't even have a friendship because then now that just means I'm going to have a too like unhealthy of a friendship and just make out with my friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you talking about? You know? So, um, and I know that codependency is a real thing, so I'm not knocking that. And I think, you know, I've had my own struggles with codependency. Often. I think everybody does, but I don't know, maybe not. So from that, it was like, oh, okay, we separated, like they said, you know, I was already kicked out. And so they separated us, which still were like dictating whether or not I could talk to this girl who like I ended up having this relationship with. Um, and we didn't even like kiss. We didn't have anything formal like actually happen. It was just, I just felt so guilty and knew that there was, we were going against the honor code that we had signed. So like emotionally went through that process of like, what? Like, I just didn't have, I just didn't realize that that was what was happening. Like as far as like having same sex attraction or um anything because it was just so far off my radar of like growing up in the church and like there were no you know i'm sure there were queer people around me but i didn't know they were or they were it was just always a negative connotation like i was homophobic before i even realized that i was homosexual what that's how messed up it is you like you learn to hate yourself before you even know so i got kicked out and then um new so conversion therapy is essentially it's gay movement it's like programs of um like different literature and like workbooks and can be way way intense where your like parents will have somebody kidnap you in the middle of the night take you to a camp in the woods and like force you to stay there because you're a minor and force you to like do brainwashing against being gay and like or whatever they think is terribly wrong with you but it's usually about the gay stuff <laughs> Wow. Uh, that is one version of it um there's many versions in between one i did was like six months long i went i think it was once a week it might have been twice a week but uh, i think it was once a week but we had like two giant workbooks and it like basically the whole concept was something broke in you that god can fix that will make you straight or anything specific that was like said or a, a mantra they would use. I don't think mantra is the right word, but like a, a lot of rebuking. It's a lot of rebuking. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like just so much prayer, constant memorizing of Bible verses, and just constantly like I rebuke the spirit of homosexuality, I rebuke the spirit of lesbianism, like it's a demon in me. That, that level of stuff and like sitting there like in your small group and having, you know, tons of like your people around you just like lay hands and start to pray in tongues and start to like just get really loud and like like they're trying to cast a demon out of you that's scary um yeah it's pretty wild time but so what did that go through like father wounds and mother wounds and all the traumas of your past and have you been abused have you not been abused have the you know as you you name it to go back and work through anything that could have possibly happened. It's just a total breakdown of trying to find it. Oh, that was it. That was the moment that messed you up. And so, mm -hmm. and so like once, which, but that's just trauma. Like that's trauma. 
do I believe in going back through and like working through your life and finding the puzzle pieces that make you who you are and healing wounds? Obviously. And I've spent my life, my whole adult life doing that, but yeah. not in the way of like trying to go and say like, oh, this one specific thing was like the end all be all that like ruined you and mm. made this terrible thing. There are, you know, moments, pivotal moments in all of our lives that change us, absolutely. But when it comes to, like, how you express and, like, live every day in the world, like, it's not, it's not, um, yeah, that's not it. That's a really important point to make because there are, even in spirituality, people are doing this work because they think they're broken and they need fixing. So to have, to go into it with that attitude, what's the thing? What's that one thing? Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to get to it. I know I'm going to uncover it. That thing that broke me, like, oh, I have, I mean, I'm, I do it all the time. I have this behavior that I don't like, this icky thing that I keep doing. So I want to dig in and find out what's the thing that happened so that I can fix this. And it's like, what if or you never and your whole yeah. life? If we spent, that's one thing that I'm trying to keep in perspective, even now in my own, like the way that I'm on a healing journey totally differently now, we can't look at ourselves from the lens of how fucked up we are to where, uh, where your whole relationship with spirit, your whole existence is just about like fixing in everything and like trying to be what like how this person is trying to be like this it's it, the whole process of like a spiritual journey is like learning how to just be yourself and then just like slowly walk back home yeah my whole relationship with you know with god all it revolved around was how to not be gay what how sad yeah sad is yeah. that for so long, that was the only way that I could stand right and pure and holy before the Lord. And I mean, like there was no, like it was just constant. Not to say that there aren't aspects of ourselves that we all want to better or change or enlighten. Like, great, but like there are some things that are like, just because somebody says that this is broken about you, like, doesn't mean that that's true. Also, like, Spending your life trying to fix yourself negates any be potential beauty to be seen by you or anyone else from you. If you're constantly just like trying to fix your brokenness, then like what are, what are how are you living? You're walking around in the world every single day as like I'm, your mantra is I'm broken. Right. You know, I need to fix this. I need to fix this. Like, but what about the shit you don't need to fix? Like, yeah. What about the so many things? It's just like the like a gratitude practice in in all of its simplest form, and it's not just like typical evangelical church setting or whatever you think, like any kind of religious setting. It's like we are in a in any spiritual setting, any type of new age thing, anything. We we're not removed from it just because we're not inside of a church. We're not removed from that thought process of unhealthy fixery <laughs> yeah we're, we're not above it like just because we do like spiritual things differently self-love is not fixing all the things wrong with you 
it's loving the whole of you you know like even aubrey said that the first one of the first days when we were in montana your darkness you know it's like it's not about eradicating your shadows it's about integrating pulling them in like you can't cast out a demon you look the demon in the face and love that motherfucker <laughs> like and that's the that's the that's the alchemy right? you know that's where it yeah. changes so it's been you know that's where everything changes and that's the perfect spot to end <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was beautiful yeah, I feel like we totally did like dialogos and like just make the conversation game. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, especially yeah, I since it. I haven't had a chance to talk to you yet. I know. <laughs> to connect and try and you know put some music together, I'd love to help you do that. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be a lot of fun. I have songs in the works, and I don't play an instrument, so it gets really frustrating. It feels like I they're trapped. We've got a sink full of dishes and an overgrown yard. Need to paint a new coat, damn garage door won't close, and I need a new car. Saw the dog chew. On the sofa, water's leaking on in. Don't get paid for a week, gotta tear in the sheets, but I, I wanna do that one again. When the world's on fire, I'll lay you down. Don't need nothing but you around to touch your skin. you close enough stay here with me we may not have anything but baby we're us and we know what that means let it all burn around us not a caring sight as long as I want you and you want me, it'll be all right. When the world's on fire, I'll lay you down. Don't need nothing but you around to touch your skin and feel you breathe. I can't get you close enough. Stay here. That means we take what we have, we're honest with that. Through fire or flood, water or blood. So go on and judge. Question us when the world's on fire. I'll lay you down. Don't need nothing but you. Yo
That.